be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Heinz's new whatever-you-need-to-call-it sauce. We understand you Chicagoans have some moral objections to putting ketchup on your hot dogs. So we at Heinz have decided we could just try to market our ketchup to things like cheeseburgers that are not so morally objectionable. But instead, we've decided to try to trick you by calling it Chicago dog sauce. And if that works, we're going to try other forms of deceit and manipulation on you, the consumer. We'll just create a Mad Lib of your city's name and other foods and see if you people start putting it on that food. So look for Portland egg sauce. Houston bread sauce and Denver chicken sauce at a store near you. Sorry. We never stop looking for new, innovative ways to sell you the same old stuff. <laughs> I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, now that we've started the uh, probably the next version of the, uh, the Second American Civil War, uh, which will be start, which will start over ketchup on hot dogs. Um, since apparently this makes people sets people off and, and, and violent and, and to violent furies. Um, how are you doing? You you mentioned earlier to me. Um, the least surprising salacious sex scandal of all time. Yes, yes. Uh, and I, and I want to talk more about Heinz in a minute. But yes, there was something that was fresh on my mind this morning. And uh, welcome back, everybody. Glad to be here. Glad to talk to you guys again this week. And uh, yeah, so R. Kelly's back in the news. And for those of you who have been paying any attention to pop culture in the last week or so, you will know that there have been several press conferences, rapid video releases, and a lot of a series of denials. Now, at this point, here's the story. R. Kelly, uh, who is a, I guess, R&B hip-hop artist, um, I'm a fan of some of his work. However, he has a long and sordid history of taking advantage of young women, marrying young women, peeing, some reportedly say, on young women. Um, you will remember there was a famous sex trial where he, it, you know, it was he was ultimately ruled not guilty, but he was seen in what many people believe to be a video of him peeing on a 14-year-old. So the man has a history. He married Aaliyah when she was only 15. Um, he, he has a history of bizarre, almost pedophilic behavior, certainly um, behavior where we're talking about underage young women that just does not seem right. Even if they are teenagers, there's a, there's a lot going on here. Well, now we've got a woman who is 21 years old, and her family called a press conference the other day to tell the world that R. Kelly had kidnapped their daughter and that she was basically living in a cult in his house. And in addition to the parents, there was another woman who, was, who claimed to be a witness. Um, and I'll throw the video up on our Facebook page if you guys want to see it. But there's a, a woman who claimed to witness it and said that he had them living in like a hotel type thing in his house. And there were madams who watched over them. Um, the daughter then released several videos in a row to TMZ and other places where she suggested that she was not being held hostage, that she was not in a cult that her dad had actually set her up with this relationship. 
with R. Kelly. And he knew exactly where she was at and what she was doing. Well, in the meantime, the daughter sent out one or two of these videos. And in the meantime, the sister of Joycelyn, which Joycelyn is the Joycelyn Savage is the young woman who is currently, you know, being debated as to whether or not she's in a cult, a hostage, or simply, you know, her parents are acting poorly in the media behavior because suddenly her younger sister put out a diss track video produced fully forced video and released it on YouTube that's a diss track of R. Kelly. So it tends to make me now, you know, look, we know he's a bad guy. I don't know what the deal is with the parents. But now the sister's releasing a music video, and this is all timed right along with all of these press conferences. So it seems to me like the father, and I'm not one to judge. <laughs> oh, really? You, you yes. can't judge this? <laughs> all I can say is this, this makes Mr. Beyonce look good. Right? Yeah, well, I know. well, here's the thing. I'm not one to judge, but the, the father showed up, you know, full suited up, and he had one of those Bluetooth mics on his ear at the press conference. I, ju- I judge people who wear those in situations where it's inappropriate. If you are in a car and you need to talk on your Bluetooth, great. If you are in an office where you're typing and you need to have a free hand and you need to use your Bluetooth, great. If you are just hanging out with random people, or more importantly, if you've called a national press conference, <laughs> I'm going to guess you're not taking phone calls. Because his phone's busy because his lawyer's on the line. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure so out why you have to wear them. And people wear them all the time, and it makes me crazy. So seeing him in that, just, it, it immediately made me judge him. Now, look, again, we know that R. Kelly is not necessarily someone you want your young daughter hanging around. But the timing of all of <laughs> this is just a wee bit suspicious. He's the kind of person you want to register with the police when he moves into your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey, I, I, I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that the Bluetooth is where you draw the line with R. <laughs> R. Kelly. That's out of line, yo, Mr. Sir. Because, Mickey, if you'd asked me which celebrity was most likely to be running a cult of sex slaves, wouldn't R. Kelly have to be right at the top of the list? Yes! Is yes! Kind of, Charlie Sheen would tell him, dude, that's messed up, okay? Hugh Hefner will denounce him for sexual immorality. <laughs> You don't see Rachel Ray accused of these sorts of things, you know? Well, no, and the thing about it is I was like, you know, well, can we like R. Kelly's music even if we don't like R. Kelly? Well, I think that we know that we can like R. Kelly's music even if we don't like R. Kelly. It's a natural response to the music. Now, whether or not you spend any money on it is another thing entirely. Well, actually, okay, so I would ask you this. Doesn't this, I mean, like, do, do you listen to his music and don't you, you know... <laughs> Like, are you, are you are you picturing a, a copy of Lolita in the background or something? Or, you know, um, okay. or, or do you hear the cries of the imprisoned sex slaves in the background? <laughs> like, no. And and here's here's the deal. Is, like, there, is there a dribbling noise? Is there a, a tinkling, you know, like a little bit of a water? <laughs> South Park teaches. Um, the, the, the single most important thing about this, I think, is recognizing, one, at this particular situation that he's in right now, I'm not sure that there are any legal charges that they could press against him anyway because adults can be in cults if they want to, even if he's running a cult. Um, She's not under age. It could be inappropriate to a certain degree, but if she's choosing to be there, I mean, this is that same, you know, any with any cult situation, you run into this, but certainly in a situation where they deny there's a cult in existence. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's one of those things where legally, yeah, cults are in a, a very... Who's going to end up suing them? Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing I'm kind of struck by is, you know, the, the, you know, the, the parents and, and three women who are identified as four members of his inner circle who accuse him of exerting, quote, mind control over the women who are staying in those residences. I'm going to go on a crazy limb and say that if you're a young woman and you start hanging around R. Kelly... You really should be surprised by what happens around you. <laughs> right? I mean, like, like, it's not like he's setting up a convent. It's not like he's setting up uh, something where it's going to be a, uh, um, uh, a, a you know, it's, it's not like they're all joining a Bible study, okay? It's not yeah, a finishing it school. Like concubines, like based on their description, <laughs> um, suggesting that the girls have their own rooms and they have basically a house mother that watches over them. The idea being, I guess, if you you know you want to take this on its best face value, the idea being that he's you know helping these girls and developing their musical talents so that they can have careers. <laughs> I can barely get that out without laughing. But they're woodwind um, talents anyway, right? <laughs> And the other side of it being that, you know, some of the witnesses have suggested that there's, you know, a black room, kind of like the red room, I guess, um, where they do sex things and whatnot. And again, we run into this problem with very real cult. So if R. Kelly's running a cult, is there anything the parents can actually do about it anyway? Yeah. There's this little detail towards the bottom of the story. It says welfare checks by police in both Illinois and Georgia in the past year didn't lead to any charges. Oh, do, I, I'm, am I assuming that we just live in a world where the police just check on R. Kelly every couple of months just to see what's going on? <laughs> okay, so I, I saw that as well because my question, of course, becomes, one, well, shouldn't that trump some of the other things that we're talking about? And two, well, why were they going out there multiple times to check on people? Um, it Maybe was the definition because they had other reports or was this just a situation of, as you said, like, hey, it's – June, let's go check on R. Kelly. It's the legal standard for probable cause. I believe now it includes being R. Kelly. That's right. <laughs> I think you might be on this. Well, he is R. Kelly. All right, I'll grant it to the judge. <laughs> I'll grant it. <laughs> but again, I'm not certain that even if they were, if the parents are 100% correct, I'm not certain that they have any legal ground to stand on anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, what, what sounds like is that, you know, uh, what, as as okay, as much as it would be tempting to compare this to the Branch Davidians or Heaven's Gate or any one of these, you know, clear cut cults that are um, indisputably dangerous to their members and to others, you know, someone getting involved with someone who is a terrible person, <laughs> who is uh, manipulative and bad and and all that kind of stuff, by itself is not a crime. Uh, consent, you know, part of of being consensual adults means. The freedom to do things that are phenomenally stupid. I guess I can't imagine what else R. Kelly would have to do um, to, to, uh, to, to, to demonstrate to young women that if they get involved with him and start to hang around with him and live in his home, well, they're not just going to end up pissed off. Look, I think that, you know, one, we should not be surprised by anything that comes out from R. Kelly. Two, I think it's important for me to admit that I still listen to Remix of Ignition whenever <laughs> it comes up on my playlist be because I like it. R. Kelly, including urine. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, that, that, that's absolutely 100 percent true. Um, I, I do think that it brings into question, you know, as far as the individual responsibility of whether or not the parents were involved in introducing do we owe, as a society, um, it to the women inside to, you know, have 
criminal investigation or some type of investigation into what's going on with R. Kelly? Or is this something that we have to just let adults be adults? Listeners, we cannot wait to hear from you on this. And uh, we'll be back after the break. I'm expecting the legal defense. Oh, no, she had a jellyfish sting. (laughs) I'm having trouble imagining liking an R. Kelly song, (laughs) primarily because I will have just set the CD on fire. (laughs) We're going to use an ordinary garden variety peach with its short, close fuzz and tender skin and a regular regimental hairbrush with its rough, tough bristles to prove to you that the man-sized Remington electric shaver will give you a close, comfortable shave, no matter how tender your skin, no matter how tough your beard. Look at this amazing demonstration. The Remington is so gentle that it can shave the short, close fuzz off a peach without harming its tender skin. And the Remington is so powerful that it can shave the bristles off a brush, bristles tougher than any beard. Remember the amazing demonstration of the peach and brush. For the close, comfortable shave you've always wanted, reach for the Remington Electric Shaver. Winter is coming. Or so I've been told by every Game of Thrones fan in the world for the last several months. And finally, Game of Thrones came back Sunday night. And the world rejoiced, Jim. And then they shrieked in horror. And I, yeah. I, I as you know, am not a Game of Thrones person. I think I am one of three. <laughs> I, I was on board, uh, got, fell off the board somewhere around the 48th naked batting um, and, and skinning and, and all of that. Um, I might jump on for this season, but I was struck. I'm already you know, out of date. Last week, apparently there was a very small scene featuring the singer Ed Sheeran. And he plays a, a soldier who sings and as they're heading into battle. And it, it was, you know, like not a, a central figure, not a, a, a massive, you know, uh, a key person. Um, and yet apparently the, the, you know, fan base of uh, Game of Thrones just went thermonuclear. It and nearly broke out. the Internet. Yeah. And, and apparently this side was so angry about it. Um, that for a while it appeared that Ed Sheeran, the singer, had chosen to quit Twitter. Um, his Twitter account is now back, but it is also uh, uh, apparently does not have like a portion of what was uh, uh, on before. It only has his uh, his replies and, and you know, some of his uh, uh, things he'd written years ago. And so, it's basically a redirect to his Instagram. Yeah, and and so I'm kind of you know. You, so I, so we, we can talk about Game of Thrones and, and the fan base and all that kind of stuff, but I'm, I, I had this, this kind of this this thought in when reading this, Mickey, which is that look, okay, so here's you, you think you're a celebrity, and you have a need to promote an album, to promote songs, to promote your work, and you come to the conclusion, okay, Twitter is just not worth it. Apparently, he, he logged on and he got constant, you know, Ed Sheeran, you suck, you know, uh, all day long, and he just kind of like, yeah, right, the heck with it. And so I'm kind of left with this question, like, if, if social media isn't worth it to celebrities, is it worth it for any of us? Now, this doesn't mean stop following Mickey or me on Twitter, <laughs> but it does kind of make you recognize, like, like Ed Sheeran should, be, like, the guy sold a bazillion, you know, albums and, and all kinds of stuff. Damn. He's invited to do these things. You'd think this, you know, like, if, if he can't, doesn't want to deal with it, why should any of us? Jim, 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 Jim. Um, just by quitting Twitter, he gets... Tons and tons of earned media or free promotion or whatever you want to call it. 
because when he, you know, he showed up and did the cameo on Sunday night and because of his, you know, again, the Twitter response, blah, blah, blah. People are horrible. I get it. Um, but for the last, you know, several days, it's been all the discussion is the fact that Ed Sheeran, one, he was on Game of Thrones and two, he quit Twitter and now you can go find him on Instagram. So I suspect his Instagram following has gone through the roof in the last couple of days. It's one way to build up another platform off of one that you already have built up. I suppose. But, you know, okay, quite. So you, but do you think this is just a cynical effort to build the followership? I mean, if not, you know, should, should everyone, you know, say, that's it, I'm leaving? And then, you know, because we, we've discussed this in past episodes. Yes. These on again, off again, uh, I'm done with you people. Okay, I'm back. Come follow me again. And I just, you know... I could be wrong. I'm not a huge fan of Ed Sheeran one way or the other, but this this feels authentic to me. Can I uh, um, step in here and represent sure. the Nimno inattentive viewer who has no idea why the audience of games of Game of Thrones might be uh, not the same audience as Ed Sheeran's, or if they are, why they're upset at Ed Sheeran for appearing in Game of Thrones? What happened? Lay it out for the layman here. I'm not a media expert oh, like you. Guys. No, that's you're absolutely right, Dave. Um, and I, I think that's an interesting part of it because the Game of Thrones audience is, in my opinion, everyone but me. <laughs> so, and me. according to every social media account that I have. I am one of, again, like three people in the world who apparently do not watch this show. And I came to it late to the party. Everyone was already so engrossed that I couldn't possibly bring myself to it. I probably would and, watch it if I had HBO, but I don't, and I don't feel like getting it. Uh, I have HBO. I have no excuse for not watching it outside of the fact that now I'm so far behind. It'll have to be sometime, maybe over the winter. When I have nothing to do before I could get caught up. Now, Watch having the marathon, said that, that's right. the, the appearance of Ed Sheeran in Game of Thrones to me was very interesting because it was supposedly just, you know, a cameo appearance. He did sing. However, the character, it's my understanding, was not to actually have lines. And, you know, obviously people recognized him immediately. And there were a couple points to be made, one in which was that the director has come out and suggested that there were certain points throughout the pilot um, or the series premiere, rather, that they wanted the audience to notice. So there's there's some you know confusion as to whether or not the Ed Sheeran character, even though it was a cameo character, was drawing them into some other storyline. But the other part of it was people were just really, really mad, which is also funny to me, considering the fact that I believe that the Game of Thrones Ed Sheeran fan base has a pretty big overlap um ed sheeran's a fairly likable singer songwriter i don't know a lot of people who just like straight out hate him i know that there are some who you know in general don't like gingers so that rises to the top um however he again he's he's not someone who's particularly controversial i mean you may not be a super fan of his but for the most part if his song comes on the radio i don't think many people are going to be like oh i hate that i have to change it um, I, I think it was much more that the fans felt like it was an overstep by the creators in pulling in a celebrity and giving them that type of cameo in what they clearly see as some type of sacred text. Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that, that Game of Thrones inspires a uh, a level of passion and obsessiveness that... Um, you know, the Trekkies would tell them to dial it back a bit. You know? <laughs> um, for for just further explanation, to, you know, like it, again, he he's about halfway through the episode. His character isn't even named. He's just a soldier in the Lannister army. 
serenading his comrades at a campfire with a song about um, Tyron Lannister and his uh, his uh, former love Shay. Uh, Ira Stark, who's been on this campaign of vengeance, uh, stumbles across him as he sings a song, stops to chat with him over roasted squirrel and blackberry wine. Um, and the director says this is kind of meant as a grace note. It's meant as kind of a quieter, uh, warmer moment in a show that's typically full of people nakedly beheading each other. And it, you know, I, 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 I guess part of it is I'm not that familiar enough with Ed uh, Sheeran to say, oh, my God, it's Ed Sheeran, you know, and, and that it would break. The you don't know what he looks like? Uh, vaguely, but like, uh, you know. You're just saying like he looks like any other singing ginger to you. <laughs> it, you know, say. Clooney, right? I mean, like there are certain actors. There, there are certain actors who are like super, you know, super. I, I would not say I, I've I've heard Ed Sheeran's music more than I've seen him. Is what I'm saying. He looks like the Thompson Twins, another successful ginger. There you singer. go. Okay, yeah. And so I guess <laughs> I guess at the heart of it is this is the idea. Okay, the fan base might think, ah, this is a shoehorned in celebrity cameo uh, in a world that's supposed to be light years away from. Uh, our, our modern world, and it kind of breaks the atmosphere of fantasy. But that kind of happens anytime you cast a relatively well-known actor um, in any new role. Uh, they had Jonathan Price join last year, and so I'm kind of like, I, I don't quite get why. And so I think this is less to do with him um, than people's appetite to just vent, right? And, and it can't just be, eh, that scene didn't work for me. Or, eh, I, wish, I kind of wish they'd just gotten some. You think this is another step in what we've talked about many times on the show, which is the kind of de-evolution de- de- of social media. Yeah. They, they, they basically, or, or the other thing is... Because it started out initially like, hey, haven't seen you in a while. This was going on on Facebook, right? Like you were initially connecting with people from high school, people you hadn't talked to in 25 years. Now you feel like you see their face every day. Um, on Twitter, you've got, you know, it started out with like, Hey, let's all share our own links to our own blogs. It was fun. And, you know, make jokes about politicians. And now it's turned into like, again, here we are, whatever, 10 years into really the birth of social media in the mainstream. And once again, we find ourselves questioning, you know, the positives versus the negatives. And I see what you're saying as someone as big as Ed Sheeran is affected by it. What does that say about, you know, you and I? who are using these same social media outlets. I'll tell you what I've been doing lately. Um, and if anyone's been paying any attention to my Twitter account, they would certainly notice this. You know, I, I've leaned way back um, in, in the last couple months, um, just kind of taking a mental hiatus, if you will, from a lot of the day-to-day connections that I would sometimes have and contacts that I would have sometimes on the Internet. And I've also started exploring other social media pages as well as, I know this is crazy, other pages on the Internet. <laughs> that don't have anything to do with social media. Yay! You know, there are, it's good to have that kind of thing. Again, do you know what it is? It's like the reaction to this would have made sense if they said, we're going to um, uh, recast the show, right? or, or we're introducing Ed Sheeran as the new central character in this show, and he's going to carry this show, and I hope you like Ed Sheeran because you're about to get a ton of it. And in fact, you know, this was a five-minute cameo in which he mostly sang and his character wasn't even named, right? And so... The, 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 I, it's like the total loss of perspective and the appetite for piling on and the need to have this. Uh, it can't just be, eh, that scene didn't work for me that well. Um, it had to be, you know, this is the worst thing ever. You know, Ed Sheeran must be burned at the stake. You know, kind of <laughs> um, 
But I think now almost part of the fun of these social media mobs is the the almost the the, the freedom to lose your mind, the freedom to to come out and react in, to over. There's no fun in reacting proportionally. The fun comes from the overreaction. Which, um, I don't know. I just feel like we've we've had, if there's any lesson we can take from Game of Thrones with all the beheadings and stuff, isn't it that we should be careful of overreactions? <laughs> Yes, who would have thought that a, an entire series based on, you know, the Red Wedding and blood and carnage would have a serious issue with overreaction of violence? Mm. Yeah, go figure. Mm. <laughs> and it's a, a question that's been asked by some folks, wondering, you know, does watching a show that's got that kind of uh, uh, violent appetite, does it stir something bad in you? Uh, you know, maybe it's just part of the human condition, this, uh, this capacity for violence or self-destruction, or, or maybe it's beyond the human condition. Mickey and I will get to the bottom of a grim tale of robot suicide. Or was it murder? Right after this. Hurry, folks, step right up, shoot a duck, and win a jar of natural orange-flavored tang. It's the new improved tang that tastes better than ever. Boy, I like instant tang, but I hate the idea of shooting a relative. Just shoot one little duck, duck, and get this big jar of tang. Tang? Goodbye, Auntie. You missed, but you can't miss with tang. And if you really want tang at its best, make up a pitcher full and cool it off in the refrigerator overnight. Great for breakfast or any tasty old time. Mmm. Just cuddle in some of that tang. Okay, Aunt Duck, hold still. Why, you miserable tankster? Now wait, I was just kidding. March! Step right up, folks. Get to rabbit and win a big jar of tang. It's a living drink tang, gang. It's tangerific. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. We're going to get take things seriously for a moment. It can be a dark and depressing world out there. In fact, from time to time, our podcast will have to get into these sorts of topics. It can also be a nefarious and scary world out there. And right now, there is a security robot in a fountain in a Washington, D.C. office building that we're being told committed suicide. But Mickey, I don't believe this for one second at all. (laughs) This was in Washington Harbor office and retail complex in Georgetown. Some steps lead down to a fountain. And we're supposed to believe... That from Nightscope, this Silicon Valley startup, that a four-foot-long oblong robot that roves for security of its own volition plunged into the water fountain and, came and, and shorted itself out and ended its life. Me? I'm not buying it, Mickey. <laughs> My gut tells me this robot didn't jump. It was pushed. <laughs> I'm putting it on a list of suspects. High on my list, there's a fellow named John Connor. <laughs> Well, first of all, if he committed suicide, did he leave a note? Well, yes, but it's all ones and zeros. Thank you, Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi. You're my only hope. <laughs> yes, I, I want to know if the robot left any type of note or intention behind, um, simply because I feel like you know that, that does tend to give better closure. But you, Jim, you, you suspect that there was some foul play here. Look, this is the K5 autonomous data machine. It said it enjoyed its work. It said it was happy with its life. In fact, it had new models coming along the way. You're telling me he's going to end it all, Mickey? I don't buy it. <laughs> it was looking forward to killing all the humans. Oh, sorry. Did I give away part of the company plan? <laughs> like, like, did, did Skynet just give up? <laughs> it just wasn't worth it? This is not how Skynet was supposed to happen. <laughs> I, what, what, if the, what if the robot 
did become aware and then just became utterly depressed. Look, I myself, you know, I, 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 I want to lead the investigation, but I don't know. I, I, it's like, first of all, the list of suspects is full of humans. Do we really think that humans are going to get to the bottom of something like this? Humans are you know, glad he's gone. We need, robo- we need RoboCop. That's the only person who can get to the bottom of this. RoboCop <laughs> is really the man for the job on this one. Thank you, Citizen. obviously is a much better invested um, reason to find out what happened. And now, how are his colleagues taking it? Uh, to the extent they have emotions, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, now here's a lot the- of beeping and booping? Yeah, you know. Um, now, somebody pointed out, and this here's okay. Like, on the one hand, I am, you know, this is sort of tongue in cheek, but there are some weird details of this. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. You know, so, what you're like, saying is, you really do think he was put Mickey, all right? Because uh, Roomba detects stairs, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? This, this thing has one job to vacuum the floor, and even it manages to avoid it. This thing went down the stairs into water, right? And so, you know, the I'm quoting. The fine, fine, the failing New York Times, as our president would call it, <laughs> that the K-5 did not detect the stairs was an anomaly, he said. Nightscope says on its website that its models guide themselves through even the most complex environments, but it somehow doesn't see the water, Mickey. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so if that is the case, is it possible that, you know, the culprit is a human who was a security guard? So it was a security guard. Was it wearing a body cam? Was it a body well, cam? Is there video? That gives motive now, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> and, and, and those of us who have, you know, studied the serial killers, as I have, Fact. also find that, you know, a lot of people, you know, sometimes you find people in security guard situations, in positions in life where they aren't satisfied with the level of commitment to solving things that they get, and they, they end up getting a little more amped up. Mickey, I'm going to point this out. I, I mentioned, you know, the possibility that RoboCop could be the one investigating this. But there was this case about 30 years ago in Detroit about a human cop who had become cybernetic. And they introduced this new robot called the ED-209, uh, which was larger and bigger and heavier weapons. And, of course, the ED-209 was found destroyed. And you know how it ended up being destroyed, Mickey? <laughs> Falling downstairs. That's right. <laughs> Although I think after they succeeded in hybridizing people and robots that uh, ED would have been dealt with by then. Okay, I have to tell you guys that we are this close to going straight into some type of conspiracy theory. (laughs) I'm disappointed in us, Jim. We're not there yet. Well, if it has happened before, then maybe we do need to look for similarities, you know, with where the building's located, who's in charge. And more importantly, is this one of those things where, like, they do on all of, you know, my great favorite shows when the FBI steps in and makes up a story around what actually happened? Uh, you know, be, be aware of that if it all of a sudden uh, uh, ends up with an implausible cover story. Look, people are affected by this, Mickey. <laughs> I'm not making, making this up when I say... An informal memorial has been erected <laughs> in Washington Harbor at Georgetown. People are leaving flowers and notes, and I, I myself would leave. Do they you know, know it's a robot? Microchips and stuff like that. Look, it says, in loving memory of our security robot, but more importantly, huh? our friend. This robot had a name, Mickey. <laughs> that name was Steve. <laughs> you sure it wasn't R2H2O? 
<laughs> I'm not making this up. That is, it was, it was Steve, security robot. Guys, we live in a culture where people get charged and imprisoned now for encouraging suicide. Was there Wi-Fi in that building? Was someone tweeting at this robot that it ought to they kill do. itself? Could have hacked him. You're right. He could have been driven. Yes, he could have been hacked. How did we think uh, that earlier? There's a box of tissues, pictures of people with posing with the robot, a set of batteries. <laughs> I mean, I I'm guessing like kind of like you put coins on the eyes. At the wow. You put, like, you put little microchips over okay. the optic sensors. Can, can I just stop you right here and say that the fact that there is a full-blown memorial to this robot <laughs> may be part of what's problem with people in, you know, D.C.? <laughs> I can imagine at the funeral service, I'd like now to have everyone open their hymnals to, to page 27 and, and sing along with us, zero, zero, one, one, zero, zero. <laughs> Isaac Asimov's book. That's right. Um, he is three laws compliant. He never harmed anyone. He simply reported stuff. Uh, yeah, so as you can tell, uh, you know, Dave, if you could put in the James Cromwell dialogue from iRobot. <laughs> That detective is the right question. That's exactly what we need to get down to here. We need Look, whatever else is going on in Washington, the potential murder of a robot is by far the most fun story we have to work with here. Well, th- again, doesn't that say more about the people of D.C. and what is it of interest to you all than, um, you know, the robot? Yeah, if you're going to bring up D.C. Uh, in earnest, we have to just admit that it was a Russian plot to kill the robot. Clearly. <laughs> We need to know more about what this robot was doing before he was killed, who he'd been in contact with, what room he'd been in. That's right. Whether it was offered any digital binary information Did he could see have been something helpful. he wasn't supposed to see? <laughs> was he a transformer? <laughs> I want to see, like, okay, so he's a robot. He has eyes. They talk to him. He's got some type of internal memory chip, right? Mm-hmm. Was that damaged by the water? Or scrubbed, exactly, right? You know. There is some sort of last glugging electronic scream, you know. <laughs> it is strange to see people respond so strongly to a robot in a city where they do not respond so strongly to actual yeah. people. I, I'm sure quite a few people have been shot dead in the last year. Right. <laughs> That's all I kept thinking was like, you know, in Southeast D.C., there's somebody getting shot right now. And there's probably going to be more people show up at the memorial. You think uh, Steve the robot is going to be a big toy this coming Christmas? Big seller? Oh, that's brilliant! <laughs> you could make Remember you could Steve. make bank off. Steve, this. Lives, Steve. Steve lives on in all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, 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 it's one of those things where, again, we all love a good light story like this in the summer. Um, but it do, it does crack me up that people have been bringing flowers and memorial to Steve. Have you ever done anything like that? To I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not talking about like friends, family, pets. <laughs> Things like that. I mean, like, has, has something that you've owned that is completely inanimate died and you felt like you needed to pay tribute to it? Like, um, car or... I, I, like, that's the only thing I can think of that I'm, like, that attached to in my life that I would even, like, think about would be... I have a vehicle that, it's so funny, I, I'll own it forever um, because I love this particular car. And... I'm trying to think of anything else in my world that's inanimate that would cause me to even think about having something like this. A lot of people will keep the keys or the hood ornament or some part of a beloved car if it gets wrecked or something like that. But uh, I, I, I'm unlikely. Here's the thing. So, just so you're ready for this. Mm-hmm. The robot is innocent. 
That's right. Right, and, and, and like I'm, 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 I'm taking my tongue out of my cheeks so when I say that the robot just does what he does. Like the robot generally doesn't irk people, as far as we know, right? I mean, you know, we, I'm joking about finding motive or something, but here is this machine. God knows if it had any personality, but it went around and did it, and now through faulty programming or somebody messing around with it or something like that, it has come to an end. And, and it probably says something about our ability to anthropomorphize things. That, that like you realize it's not sense. actually alive, though, right? Yeah. You know, in a way that we would when our toaster breaks or something like that. We that feel more strongly, us. more sentimentally about things we anthropomorphize, which is to say things we inject human qualities into by far than we do about actual human. I kind of think I'm right there with you. It's been this way for a while. Robots are making it more possible to see it happen, but it's been this way for a good long time. Been doing it with animals. And we've talked about uh, many times in the last couple of years on the show, many times about the robot sex or the sex robots rather. Yep. And, you know, of course, HBO is making a killing off that right now. Westworld tapping into yeah with Westworld they're tapping into the whole robot sex craze that's going on right now, but we we like robots we, I mean how many of us actually even come into contact with an actual robot that's humanized in form? My Roomba is not humanized. Yeah, nothing so far on this one. The the only good news of this investigation is that so far there is no indication that the robot was uh, had sexual contact uh, before its death. Again. Now we know what they're going to do on Westworld Season 2. And in general, in Japanese society. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. We'll call that a wrap on this segment. We'll be right back. It is the distant future, the year 2000. We are robots. The world is quite different ever since the robotic uprising of the late 90s. There is no more unhappiness. Affirmative. We no longer say yes. Instead, we say affirmative. Yes, affer- affirmative. Unless we know the rather robot really well. There is no more unethical treatment of the elephants. Well, there's no more elephants, so... Ah. But still, it's good. There's only one kind of dance, the robot. Oh, and the robo. Oh, and the rope. Two kinds of dances. But there are no more humans. Violent robotic beings rule the world. The humans are dead. Susie Q, what's cooking with you? Your teeth look whiter than new, new, new. My teeth aren't new, but my toothpaste is new Pepsodent. Get with it, kids. New package, new flavor, new formula, too, means brighter smile for me and you. You'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. The new formula with IMP gets teeth much whiter. You can see it cleans the stains and film away while Irium fights tooth decay. You'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. The taste is new, so fresh and clean. That new taste really lasts, it's keen. And while it makes your smile a rave, it also makes your breath behave. So start going steady right away with Pepsodent. Get some today. You'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. Pepsodent, Pepsodent. There really is a Kentucky Fried Chicken School. Yep, today we're making the Colonel's original recipe. What have you learned? Fresh chicken makes the best chicken. And that we use 11 herbs and spices. Oh, but that's the Colonel's secret. And special pressure cooking. (laughs) So it's always tender and juicy. Looks like you've learned to make great chicken. Only way to serve our customers right. It's so nice, nice to live. So good about it. So good about Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
You've got your sunrise. You caught a prize. You, you're making your Johnson. Party nights, summer whites. You, your friends, and your Johnson. Rooster tails, water trails. You, your kids, and your Johnson. Saturday nights, distant lights. You, your girl, and your Johnson. You and your Johnson, a way of life for over 50 years. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I'm Mickey White along with Jim Garrity. And we are just getting into a discussion about the upcoming movie Dunkirk, a World War II epic film put together by Christopher Nolan, famous for the Batman trilogy, um, the Batman Rises, or I guess it would be called the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, and this, to say that this is getting a lot of publicity before its opening weekend would be a huge understatement. It's getting blown out on all of the morning talk shows, on all of the entertainment shows. They've even got Harry Styles cast in this movie. Um, and it's my understanding that he beat out a lot of other people to get that role. But it tells the Battle of Dunkirk, a very interesting, kind of unique time in American history. And um, Jim, what are your thoughts on this movie coming forward? Sure. Uh, fairly excited. I think it was kind of an unusual choice for a historical drama. Um, it's not, it's not, you know, the, the tagline for the movie appears to be survival is victory. And this is not, you know, a great allied victory. Um, it was important that the, you know, British army not get wiped out. Uh, so it would still be around to fight for the rest of the war. But uh, it, it's definitely a tone of, of desperation and a narrow escape. So the trailer looks fantastic. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. But I will point out, and generating a lot of buzz as we tape this, is the review in USA Today, which is generally pretty glowing, has this really odd line that, you know, you don't want... Okay, there are times when we on the right can make too much out of political correctness, and we can, you know, some ninny says something on the internet, we make too big a deal out of it. But this, this is USA Today. This is a major newspaper. This is their film review. And there's this sentence that begins... The trio of timelines can be jarring as you figure out how they all fit. And the fact that there are only a couple of women and no lead actors of color may rub some the wrong way. <laughs> it's friggin' Dunkirk. It's Dunkirk. It's it white men. Army against Germans. What? <laughs> Isn't this where we... How many African-Americans do you think there were? How many Asians do you think there were? Latinos. None, because it was Dunkirk. <laughs> Say, why are there so many Italians in this ep- epic about the Roman Empire? <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of a critique I heard in media not long ago about the fact that there were only white people in the Orient Express. That the the critic thought that because it said Orient, there ought to be Asian people in oh the my cast. God. Okay, <laughs> look, people have issues, and one of them seems to be differentiating between historical fiction and fiction in general. And I, I, I think it's fascinating that they – and again, not at all surprising though, really, is it? I mean, we're literally talking about a world where earlier this week, Jezebel had put out an article defaming the United States because the United States government wasn't getting involved in ads that were being put together. Um, and and uh, I'll back up for clarification. But Jezebel suggested that it was bad for the USA not to get involved in ads. And to censor ads or to have regulations for ads that co- <clears throat> confirmed gender stereotypes. 
Now, okay, first of all, I feel like someone should send them a, di- a dictionary so they can look up the definition of stereotype mm-hmm. and see that they exist because they're based on behavior that these people exhibit on a regular basis. They're based on reality. Yes. I mean, not all stereotypes are accurate, but when it comes to gender roles, I don't think it's offensive in any way to show a guy taking out the trash. But we have people in the world who are offended by this because people will get pissed off about anything. (laughs) That's just what the problem is. I mean, and right now you've got a, a World War II epic drama being filmed, you know, about Dunkirk, this battle that is questionable at best. Because it's my understanding that a great deal of why they survived was because... Of all things, Hitler had an affinity for the English and did not wish to totally annihilate them. They did kind of hold off a little, the Nazis did. There were some token beach attacks, but mostly it was a a chance to get the English home to England and, uh, in Hitler's opinion, maybe get them out of the war. Yes. And so a very interesting choice, again, by anyone who's putting it together as far as a unique point in World War II. However... It's even more fascinating that people would demand to see one faces of color and to see women. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, there, it's not a separate debate that we could be having here, right? And it's, you say, look, you know, um, aren't there chapters of, of World War II history or of American history con- of contributions of African Americans and minorities um, that, that deserve their own spotlight? And yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm surprised we haven't seen a really good Harriet Tubman movie yet. Uh, once again, being part of the uh, the Alamo story, um, and they did uh, make Christmas red tails, I mean, and there were no white people in the plains in red tails. They did yeah, make there, red there, tails. There's a um, if you want to say, hey, there are other stories that, that deserve being told. I'm not going to argue. Uh, very few people would probably argue with that. And it would have been great to see Christopher Nolan uh, turning his his cinematic gifts towards telling a story like that. But he chose to tell this one. And I don't think you can say, "Oh, Dunkirk doesn't need to be told." Right? This, this is a you know, this is a big epic story, and he and probably one that's been overlooked because it's not a big uh, uh, glamorous battle or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's and not a celebration of victory. It's not a yeah. victory. It's it's and, and also and it, let's you know, not forget the U.S. isn't involved. Yeah, you know, and, and so it's probably like, why are there more Americans in this film? Exactly. <laughs> why aren't there more Americans in this film? The guys know. on the beach were probably saying, "Why aren't there more Americans coming to rescue us?" Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's just this, this, you know, the inanity of that complaint. That, that of all, you know, we'll, we'll see whether this is a uh, as good as the trailers make it look. It certainly looks very exciting. It certainly looks very tense. Um, but but this, it just seemed like a, a, a complaint that was almost trying to live up to the uh, most absurd portrait of the, the political correctness brigades and stuff like that. And it was weird to see USA Today of all places. Because, and it's not really, I, I suppose the, the you know, reviewer could say, look, I'm not saying it should have these people. I'm saying it would rub some people the wrong way. Yes, but, but those people are idiots. And, and you don't necessarily need to say, you know, this movie may bother idiots. Because a lot of things bother idiots. And we're not, we're not supposed to spend so much time worrying about what bothers idiots. <sighs> Okay, take a deep breath, <laughs> because the reality is there are probably – think about how upset you got when you read it. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a certain percent of people that are going to be upset when they read that sentence one direction or the other. Some people would read it and think, oh, I'm disappointed mm-hmm. that they didn't have you know, women or you know, people of color in, in this movie. There are legitimately people out there who do that. I just don't think that there are that many. And certainly, 
I think when taken into the context of what the movie is about, that it's it, it doesn't seem like it's a necessary thing to point out. Mm. But it's become such a significant part of our culture at this point to... No one can appreciate art for what it is on any side. Especially if it's history and trying to tell the story of history. Because rewriting history is what all the different groups seem to be all about. Well, it's about rewriting history. It's about making, you know, they talk about whitewashing history. And certainly that can be done. But if you are telling a story, it's important then to try to stay as close to reality as possible in retelling of the story. And not, again, rewrite history, as Dave just pointed out, to make it fit what we would like to see on screen today. Um, but I, I, I think it's interesting, though, and I think it's an interesting mindset. I just don't think that most viewers who are going to go see this movie will care or give that a second thought. I mean, they'll either like the movie or they won't like the movie because that's ultimately what it comes down to when you decide to go see a movie, right? It's not... It's not necessarily, you know, it's sometimes you like the actor, sometimes you don't, but it's all about the experience. You can go and see a movie with your favorite actor, as I did recently, and it would be terrible. And you can go see a movie with an actor that you're not all that fond of, and suddenly it's like a really good film. So there's, there's just a lot of different things that go into it. And I think that, again, it's much more a reflection of the culture at large. Because everyone is looking, specifically from the media, I don't think this is something that you find in the general population. I think this is something that is very media driven. Now, Mickey, are you, are you sorry, is Dunkirk a movie you're likely going to go see? It is possible that I will see Dunkirk and it is possible that I will see it because Mr. Bias is such a World War II history buff. However, um, when we first started talking about it earlier this week, his initial reaction was, I'm just terrified that they're going to make a terrible movie and I'm not going to like it. Mm. I, I reassured him that it was Christopher Nolan and I felt like he might be able to be trusted. And also, so, this ain't Pearl Harbor. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a lesser known battle, so we'll see. But based, and I honestly think that his reaction to it was based on things like Pearl Harbor. Um, those movies that have come out in the last couple years, you know, with these very Hollywoodized, glamorized versions. And, you know, everybody wants to be saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. But not everybody can be saving Private Ryan. Remember the love song, the theme from uh, Team America World Police that the uh, young man sang, Pearl Harbor sucked and <laughs> I love you. <laughs> that was a great movie. It was. Yeah, there's a, look, I, I'd like to think we can uh, we can count on Christopher Nolan to, uh, rise to the occasion. I think it whatever the problems will be, it probably won't be cheese with, with Christopher Nolan. It may be that this is an intricate puzzle box of a movie, you know, with revelations. And all, people point out that there are certain threads that run through uh, all the Christopher Nolan movies. And so I think this is the other thing is that this appears to be Nolan breaking a bit out of his uh, uh, his genre or his typical method we've seen in. Uh, Inception, uh, Interstellar, Memento, things like that. For once, it's not a slicked back obsessive uh, hero who's uh, uh, you know uh, putting together a team to uh, uh, to achieve a goal and mm-hmm. you know cerebral and all. That. Well, we'll see how it shakes out. But uh, my guess is what you, my guess is that the, whatever complaint uh, uh, Mr. Biased has over this, it won't be the same as it is for all the other. Uh, uh, perhaps a little bit schmaltzy historical dramas we've seen in recent Need you like Ben Affleck needs acting school. He was terrible in that film. 
15,000 of your telephone dollars go into paying operators to look up 185,000 numbers already listed in your directory. Before you reach for the phone instead of the phone book, stop and think about it. If you honestly need a number and can't find it listed, call us. That's why we're here. But please, look in the book first. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. You know... You may have thought I was joking earlier in the program where I talked about Heinz's new whatever-you-need-to-call-it sauce. But no, really, they're going to market ketchup in Chicago as Chicago dog sauce. <laughs> sort of like apparently the Jedi mind trick school of advertising or something like that. Now, at the risk of starting you know, yet another national battle uh, over ketchup on hot dogs, like – Mickey, is this is this like desperation? Is this creativity? You know, you've been you were in marketing for a long time. What do you think of Chicago dog sauce? I think this is Heinz throwing down the gauntlet. Mm. I like it. <clears throat> I wow. like I, I like it for a couple of reasons. One, because ketchup belongs on hot dogs. I don't care what crazy people say. <laughs> um, and secondly, I think that it, I think it plays into exactly what you're talking about the the national continuing conversation and argument to the death over whether or not it's okay to put anything other than mustard on a hot dog. Um, these from the same people, by the way, who will put onions and pickles and lettuce and tomatoes on their hot dogs if they're in Chicago. And green relish with too much put... green food coloring. Right, exactly. That really bright green relish. <laughs> and yet they turn up their nose at us ketchup, ketchup people. And I feel like Heinz has done a, an amazing job here of taking something on National Hot Dog Day as it was this week on taking something that is such already part of the culture, our real pop culture, like if we want to talk about pop culture in depth, this is it. Heinz takes a look at that and says, hey, we're going to put out ketchup bottles that say Chicago dog sauce on them <laughs> so that they can't complain about it being ketchup because obviously it was marketed specifically for the hot dog. I got an even stronger feeling about Chicagoans. I think they'll go through the period of being angry that Heinz is trying to fool them and then after that, they'll go, yeah, might as well try it. <laughs> they'll put it on anyway. <laughs> they will, it will be suggested to them, and they won't be able to resist the suggestion, even though it offends them. That's what I think, Chicago. I, I, am I the only one who would also go out and buy this simply so that they could have a bottle of the sauce in the, in the labeling? I, I suppose it's a conversation starter and or an argument and fight starter. Mm -hmm. um, now, a... a Am I crazy for thinking that most people who reject um, ketchup on hot dogs, in addition to being right thinking and understanding what belongs on a hot dog <laughs> and what belongs on a hamburger and not wanting to douse good tasting meat in some you know, generic tomato stuff, uh, like, is, are there the people who hate it, do you think any of them have like not tried it? This is not a terribly obscure taste. This is not kale. This is not the uh, what was it, the ramen burger we discussed last. Summer? Yes, you know, like like I think most people who don't like ketchup on hot dogs have tried it and they don't like it, and that's that's why they don't like it. It's not this, you know. No, I think that it's much taste. more of a personal stance that has nothing to do with actual taste. I, I do believe that there are people out there who have not tried it that just immediately turn away from it on its face. Um, I I think it would be interesting to buy a bottle of the the Chicago dog sauce ketchup and 
put it with the mustard and the relish on the table and then have an extra bottle of ketchup <laughs> on the table as well. So, the, you know, obviously that would be for the using on the hot dogs and then the other ketchup would be used for other things. Um, those of us who are, you know, I, I, I kind of like Chicago. I don't like their, their sports teams or anything. But uh, the, the, the people who are cynical about Chicago, the people who like to scoff at Chicago, uh, their exemplary mayor and things like that, you know, you, they'd have good reason to think, wow, they put it in a different bottle and Chicago and started eating it because they changed the name instead of actually uh, tasting, you know, it, meaning it meant the, the Chicago opposition to ketchup never was about the actual taste. It was entirely about a, they were culturally conditioned to oppose ketchup as opposed to genuinely deciding that they didn't like the taste. I, I Again, I, I truly believe that this is one of those things where, you know, I know people who don't like mayo on anything. They're yeah, that's another one. Mustard on you know, so vehemence of opposition there. Yeah, so there's you know there are people who don't like it on anything, and I I find it weird. There are people who like ketchup but just don't like it on their hot dogs. Yeah, I, I, I'm so myself. Over time, I'm becoming less uh, ketchup friendly. I think having two boys who like to douse everything in it with with probably four times what the recommended dosage uh, would be is, is is a factor in that. Um, but I just think that generally there are other, like Heinz 57 sauce, a little more tang, a little more barbecue-y, things like that. There's just more, there's more, all in all, ketchup is a very generic sauce. I'm a little off ketchup because... You shut your mouth, Jim Garrity. Childhood wow. experiences. It's one of the best things that was ever invented in life. My dad and used to... I'll tell to, you right now, I have more than one bottle of Heinz ketchup in my refrigerator. My I dad used to grill steaks, and of course, anybody that grills steaks outdoors says they're perfect as soon as he's through with them, right? Mm. You you eat it once it comes off the grill. Well, I used to cover mine in steak, and he got so mad at me so many times. Ketchup tastes bad to me now. It has the angry face of my father on, <laughs> on the label. You can't get past the emotional disapproval That's right. that comes with ketchup. Well, yes, because, I mean, pe- well, people frown on it whenever you use ketchup on a steak. And I am I am not someone who who does put ketchup on a steak, although I am someone who, you know, likes a good steak sauce. Which will also piss off the cook on occasion. In my defense, I was a little kid. <laughs> I didn't know yeah, anything. Kids love ketchup on everything, but you know, deep down for Dave, the secret sauce, of, the secret ingredient to ketchup is guilt. <laughs> guilt and rejection. Something <laughs> that I never feel when I'm dealing with Heinz ketchup because I love it. it uh, there is Heinz Field. It is everything that is good about Pittsburgh is Heinz and vice versa. Um, I even have a little pin of a Heinz ketchup bottle. That I had from back in the day from my jean jacket. So that tells you just how long and strong my love for Heinz ketchup is. And I will continue to put it on my hot dog so you know where to send those letters. And uh, we've come to another end of this week's Tea Jams, the Jim and Mickey show. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. Big Dave Perkins is behind the board, and we are here every week. You can catch us at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. You can also find us on facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. Uh, you can look for us wherever you listen to podcasts. If we're not there, send us, send us a little note, and we'll be happy to upload them for you. And uh, I am Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. We'll be back. Heinz Ketchup. Think how good it's going to taste when it finally gets there. Rich tasting Heinz ketchup. It's slow good. Don't be zombie. The electric fence.